You may be seated, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're visiting with us um, and maybe aren't familiar with the Bible, we've printed this for you on page 9 of your worship guide, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get God's Word into your hands. Um, Just message us, grab us, email us, let us know. Um, And we will get you um, your own uh, copy of God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 13, this is God's Word. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is God's word. Would you ask, we join with me as we ask his blessing on his word preached. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. You died and are alive forevermore. You're the first and the last. You've been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And so we come with expectation to your word. And we would ask that with the full force of your power, that you promised your word will never return to you void without accomplishing all that you intend for it to accomplish. Work today in us so that we would leave here saying, God has met with us and through his word we have been changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the resurrection of Jesus is the event that changes everything. It's the beginning of a new age. We've kind of hit that theme a number of different ways this morning that the resurrection of Jesus is an epic changing event. Here's what I mean by that. These are sort of normal in our lives. There are these events that happen that usher in a new age. For instance, when you get married, that is an epic changing event. You mark your life for the rest of your days By the day you got married, there was before and after. It literally changed everything. The birth of your firstborn child. You went from not being parents to being parents. And it changed everything. It was an event that brought in a new epic in your life. And the resurrection of Jesus was more than just a man being raised from the dead. That had happened before. The Old Testament prophets had raised dead people 
Jesus himself had done it a number of times. The resurrection of Jesus is the event that changes everything because it was not just simply a dead man coming back to life, but a sin-cursed man coming back from the grave after having borne the sins for his people, suffering under the wrath of God as our substitute and representative. When the sin-cursed man came back from the grave, it ushered in an entire new age, a new creation. Because here's the reality that we are all trying to ignore. Death casts a long shadow over all of our lives. It's a large shadow that no amount of man-made light can dispel. It's ever-present, it's always looming. We may for a moment drown out the noise of the cacophony of death, but no amount of pleasure or work or sports or ambition can quiet it. The moment that we stop with the cacophony of things that we try to drown out its loud yell that casts its long dark shadow over our life the moment it comes rushing back the growl of death is ever present as a low hum the life that's lived in this shadow of death is short it's like a mist a vapor it's like the fog that burns off in the morning our our lives are, are like steam from the shower. The moment you turn off the shower, it begins to dispel or it just can't, doesn't have much substance to it, much weight, much ability to exist on its own. Our, our lives, as James tells us, is but a mist, it evaporates, and the short life that's like a vapor is lived full of trouble. Job said it well as a man who had experienced it. Man is born of a woman. He lives a few days, and all of those few days are full of trouble. That's the long shadow that we want to deny, but it is ever-present in our lives. And it's long shadow because it causes lots of neurotic tendencies in us, attempts to insulate ourselves from its growl and its shadow. There are all these little deaths that remind us of the inevitable end that is coming for all of us. Little deaths like the loss of youth. We begin to experience our weakness. Little deaths like the loss of health. Little deaths like the loss of dreams and ambitions, all reminding us that we are marching to the grave and growing more tired and frail and weaker along the way. This enemy is brought into the world as an invader on the back of sin because sin brought us under the curse of God. Death is more than just the natural course of life. This is a life lived under the curse of sin. And we are born... We grow into teenagers, and as doctors often tell me, then we start to die. And death has a sting. Everyone who experiences its sting experiences its intensity and its venom, and it never quite releases from our system. 
You've lost a loved one, a parent, a spouse, a child. You've had miscarriages. The venom of death never quite releases from our system. It's always present. And yet, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Death is brought on the curse of sin. As Paul says in Romans 5, through one man's sin, death came into the world. It's an enemy that Jesus hates. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus, who allowed him to die, to be stung by the venom of death, and would eventually raise Lazarus from the dead, looks at Lazarus' grave, and John says he snorted like an angry stallion. He hated this enemy that had broken into his good world. Because death is the result of the curse of God against sin, and it rips apart all kinds of things that God has intended to be together. We've tried to deny this reality in the midst of a pandemic, but it's, it has affected so much of our lives. And Paul has some things to say about death in light of the resurrection of Jesus to the Thessalonians. Verse 13, I, I don't want you, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed brothers. I've got some things to say to you about those who have died. He uses a, a word, he calls them, who've fallen asleep. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to encourage them to live their story backwards. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, that uh, epic changing event that changes everything. Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And here's what I mean by living our story backwards. Let me illustrate it by how we usually live our stories forward. For instance, trauma. You've experienced a traumatic event. Abuse, death, car wreck. Some type of traumatic event. And here's what we do. We relive the story. We relive the events. It cycles through our minds. That happened, it changes everything. Or another version of that, anxiety. Anxiety is, is often since-then thinking. That's all it often is. since this happened before. It is likely to happen again. And so I need to rush and get it under control. It's an inevitability. It's happened once. It's going to happen again. That's what it means to live a story forward. An event happened. It affects everything. And we're going to live life in light of it. But we're living it forward. But here's what the gospel does. The gospel comes in and gives us another story to live by and tells us to live that story backwards. That is, to live in light of the fact that in Jesus' death and resurrection, the most ultimate thing that has happened has already happened. And we need to live in light of that by living backwards. In every story 
there is a definitive event that brings the story to a resolution. It, it ties up loose ends. In a good story, that decisive event brings a state that is sa- emotionally satisfying. It's the good part of the story. The French have a word for it, the denouement, or we might say the resolution if you're a storyteller. It's the climactic event that leads to a satisfying conclusion. For instance, in the recent Avengers movie, the last 20 minutes are after Thanos is defeated are, are just them wrapping up the story. It's a, it's a serene, full of light scene. And it's deeply, it's the most deeply satisfying part of the story because all the tension that you've been feeling throughout the story is suddenly released and often you'll find tears of joy flow. Things have been resolved. The world is put back to rights again. There is a sense of relief and joy in that part of the story. Well, the death and resurrection of Jesus are the climax of the story of history. And we are living now in the denouement, the resolution, the conclusion, but it's spaced out over time, a delay. And during the delay, we have to learn to live the story backwards. And that's the reason that is to reason out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. For sense, this is the way Paul goes on, he does this in verse 14. For sense, since this is the most true thing, Jesus died and rose again through that same Jesus. God is going to bring the fruit of Jesus' resurrection to those who died and are with Jesus. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Let me give you another illustration of, of living in light of this story. Imagine that you're in occupied France in World War II. And the Nazis have taken up your country. They've, taken, they've occupied your land. And you're living under the constant terror and deprivation. You're imprisoned by the fear of this occupying, invading army. But then you hear that the Allies have both taken the beaches of Normandy, marched through the land, and won the Battle of the Bulge. The enemy, though present, still in this occupied land, is no longer ruling and reigning. It's defeated, but still in your presence. That is a decisive defeat that changes the entire equation for what you're presently experiencing. And you begin to reason backwards. Even though the Nazis are still present, your experience of their occupation is radically altered because of their defeat. That is what the resurrection of Jesus has done to death in his death and resurrection he has won the decisive victory over death by breaking the curse of sin and with the resurrection of jesus we are pulled forward in life by a better story and so if you're taking notes i want to give us six ways to get pulled forward as we reason backwards And apply it to death. Six things. Pulled forward because of the resurrection of Jesus. As we reason backwards from his victory over death. One. Fear the one who has defeated death with death. 
Do you fear death? You should. It's a great enemy that no one has defeated yet. No wealth has insulated a single individual from death. No power, no wisdom, no great plans. Death has won against everyone who has stood in the ring with it. It's the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. You think you could take an uppercut from Mike Tyson in his prime? You'd stand in the ring with him and shake as you faced him. No one can take that. You should fear death. It's untamable, relentless, undefeated. But how much more should you fear the one who defeated death with death and is now alive forevermore? And if you don't yet belong to him, run to him and be found in him. Romans 14, 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. Fear him. Who death cannot touch. For death now shakes when it enters into the ring with Jesus because he now holds the keys to death and hell and who who died and is alive forevermore. Death cannot touch him. Fear him and be found in him. Second, All must die, but the resurrection of Jesus redeems the experience of death. The death rate after the curse of sin is 100%. You may extend your life by a few years with a healthy diet, exercise, and good medicine, but you will not avoid death. You know, the life expectancy in a developed country like ours, modern health care, Modern sewage system, modern everything. Great wealth, great access, tremendous abilities to treat sickness. The difference in the death rate, the age of death, in a developed country and a developing country is eight or nine years. Wealth and technology may give you a few more years in the vapor of this life, but it will not insulate you from death. And if it is impossible to not live under the fear of death, Jesus redeems that experience in his death and resurrection. I've had many conversations with someone after they've been in the hospital or while in the hospital where they were at death's door and I'll say to them something like, you know, you you look better. It was scary there for a moment, but you know, you still look like you're struggling and they'll say back to me, it's better than the alternative. Do you know that's simply not true for those who are in Christ? Death frees us. From our own sinful hearts are struggling in a fallen world as a fallen people with other fallen people. Paul's wrestling with this in Philippians chapter 1 where he says, For me to live is Christ. It's better for me. Like It's good for me. I get to serve Jesus in this life. But to die is gain. Living means serving Jesus. 
But on the other side of death is freedom and joy. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, though, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. George Herbert, the great poet and writer, said, Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. Look forward to that. This is what Jesus has done. He's he's defeated it. And so now this enemy has become my friend that ushers me into a greater reality. It's better to depart. Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. This enemy becomes the gateway to freeing his people to enjoy life free from the curse of sin. But it's not the best. Point three. Because we're meant to live physically, so our bodies are important and we wait for new physical bodies. Even after death, there's a a time of waiting. That is better to depart, to enter into the presence of Jesus, free from the curse of sin. But the best comes after that when we have new resurrected bodies and a new heavens and a new earth. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and the voice of an archangel. That's the language of victory. It's a coming king. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. And what will happen is the dead will rise first. And I think this is the reality that we're trying to transcend right now with our technology and our stories. We're trying to live a disembodied, a non-physical experience. It's since we aren't made for. We're made, we're, we're made to have physical bodies and live in a physical world. The physical world is good. What strikes me as deeply dangerous about the debate over whether gender is a social construct is that it attempts to live a disembodied life, to deny an embodied reality in the goodness of our bodies. The physical world that's fluid and full of, it's like slime. You can shape it another way you want. And it's ever-changing and it's biting us hard right now. You can't transcend the physical. Nor can you pretend that the physical doesn't have limits and define us. That is a good thing. And so the movement of God is from physical to physical. He created the world as a physical reality, made place Adam in a physical garden, and then said, go spread this little garden kingdom over the whole earth, and I'll dwell there. And God declared it very good, and thus the end of redemption of Jesus is putting back a sin-cursed world together is not a non-physical world, but a physical world that we will inhabit with glorified physical bodies where Jesus physically dwells with his people. And the same body that's sown into the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, will be raised in glory when Jesus comes back. Because even our bodies are united to Jesus and held by him as precious. Number four, the hope of the world to come is this. Until then, 
death is is still an ever-present reality. Because there are just certain realities that we can't push back or eradicate. And so to live, to be pulled forward into the story or to live that story backwards means in this age, till we wait for that age to come where death is no more, in this age we still mourn at death and acknowledge that it's an enemy. Verse 13. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He doesn't say, don't grieve. He just says, let your grief be transformed, be pulled forward into this story or to live this story backwards. We, we mourn because this is not because Jesus mourned at death. He wept at it. He was angry at it. It was an enemy that invaded his world. You mourn, but with hope that Jesus will eventually transform this because he has already transformed it in his death and resurrection. So death is a temporary grief with the resurrection promised to those that you've lost who are in Christ. I have a lot of brothers and sisters who are buried in that graveyard across the street. Some of your own parents who are co-laborers with me in the gospel. A mentor. Buried dozens and dozens of very beloved people. And when Jesus comes back, that's where I want to be. For those bodies that we put into the ground... And we mourn now, we'll rejoice when he raises them to new life with new bodies that can never taste death anymore. And as a result, five, there is an order of privilege for those who die in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so it will always be with the Lord. That is a consistent theme of the kingdom. Those who experience weakness get priority. Those who have died get first dibs. They were the first to come to death. They'll be the first to enjoy the victory of the resurrection. If Jesus comes back right now, he's going to look at us and be like, wait your turn. They get to go first. To see those resurrected bodies raised in victory and to see the last enemy of death fall to the reigning king, be able to watch all of that unfold. And then he'll say, come on, now it's your turn. And number six, the resurrection guarantees victory to those who suffer for Jesus. In Revelation 6, a passage that we'll get to in a month, this beautiful picture of those who have been slain for the word of God. They're the martyrs. And they're sitting at the throne of Jesus right now in anticipation of their vindication. 
The world had come against them and destroyed them. And again, in the upside down nature of the kingdom, it actually led to their victory. They're seated around the throne of Jesus. Death could, they couldn't touch him with death, but they're asking a question. How long, O Lord, before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You see what they're doing is they're living the story backwards. They're being pulled forward. They're saying there's, there's a day coming, an even, even better day coming. They can't touch us now, but you will touch them then in judgment. You'll vindicate us. And so they're looking forward because they know that Jesus has won in his resurrection and he will return and they will win with him. They're going to be vindicated. They realize that this intermediate state isn't the ultimate state. A better day is coming. So they're asking, how much longer? And then this is what we're told. They are each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So in light of that, let's suffer well for Christ. Knowing that the suffering for the gospel in any capacity will bring us closer to that final day when Jesus returns and wins and let us reason backwards to live the story backwards because if great death is not to be feared then a thousand little deaths must not be feared either no one can take away from you for following jesus anything that will not be returned a thousandfold in the age to come for whatever is lost in this life will be repaid in the age of the resurrection where nothing can be lost again. A little boy and his father were driving down a country road. It's a beautiful spring afternoon. They had their windows down and suddenly out of nowhere a bumblebee flew into the car. The little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings. It was a great threat to him became petrified out of fear. His father just quickly reached out and grabbed the bee and held it in his hand for a moment and then let it go. It flew around the car again and the boy became frantic once again and it buzzed the little boy. He screamed out in terror. And the father, sensing the son's terror, once again reached out his hand. But this time he pointed to it. And there stuck in the skin was the stinger of the bee. You see this, he asked. You don't need to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. And so Paul writes. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Resurrected, reigning, and coming again. Let's pray. Lord, uh, 
great enemies that we cannot face in this life are no match for you and your power and your grace. For you stood in our place and took the death we deserved to die because of sin. And you have clothed us with your righteousness and you will one day clothe us with glorified bodies that are like yours. Help us to be pulled forward into this story. For we pray this in your name, our Savior. Amen.